You, you, you are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing ninety seven podcast. I think we're all kind of we've had those experiences where you finally just have a lights out day, mm-hmm. um, and that happened for me. Uh, I believe it was July of twenty eighteen. We were at me and some friends were visiting Brian at the resort, um, and him and myself and uh, his brother Russ. We went out and. We were fishing by the knoll and it was one of those days where just couldn't keep them off and I kind of been hooked on fly fishing ever since. Was that a crony day? It was a it was an anti-static bag wine rip <laughs> crony. And, uh, <laughs> okay, I like it. You're digging deep here. It's it's details, not a crony it, I, day. Anti-static, love it. If you uh, if you fish Tunkwa, there's uh, you kind of learn eventually or if you listen to the seasonals or the older guys kind of learn that like there's you really only need a few flies during a certain time of the year at that lake and that was uh it really didn't matter how much was left on the hook it, it, you just cast it out not even at the bottom we i remember i i vividly remember we we're uh maybe seven feet of water and hanging it in four feet and it just before the bobber could even get settled on the water it was going down non-stop and it was just it was one of those days where it just it hooks you and you, it yeah. keeps you coming back for more, right? Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry. We focus on guides, conservation, resort managers, gear, and talented fly tires bringing usable information to fly fishers. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by The Fly Crate. Theflycrate.com is your source for all things fly fishing. The Fly Crate offers a monthly fly club. We select patterns every month for your home waters. With membership, you'll receive flies created to match the hatch in your area, along with the Fly Crate's guide magazine, the convenience of having flies delivered right to your door, some sweet stickers. Discover new patterns and start stocking your fly boxes now. Theflycrate.com Here's your host, Mark Hopley. Well, welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Really happy you're joining us. We're going to do what we love to do, and that's find people passionate about the fly fishing space from all walks of life. We've got Bain Ryshack on the line out of Vancouver, BC. Now, Bain um, spent a lot of time uh, in the hockey world and still is to this day. Instructor at RPM Hockey and Pacific Rim Hockey Academy. Uh, played junior hockey for the Ridge Meadows Flames. Did some coaching there. Is uh, he, He's he's all in on the hockey right now. He's also doing the Cloverdale minor hockey thing under 15 a one and, uh, was with the, is still with the West coast Wolverines and their spring hockey program. And then you throw in tying some flies and chasing some fish, um, once in a while. Bane, thanks for coming on the show today, man. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me on Mark. It's a huge honor to be uh, invited on the show. Well, you and I kind of first touched base at the uh, at the the show there back in uh, the BC Outdoors show. Uh, we caught up a little bit, and I, I, your stuff I see it all the time on Stillwaters. I see it, it looks like you're spending a lot of time out there, um, all over the province not not just the Lower Mainland, but uh, in the interior, the Caribou. Um, why don't you walk us through first your your kind of journey into fly fishing? When did it kind of first show up for you, Bane? Um, so I've been fishing my whole life. I've been, uh, super lucky. It's something that my family values. And, uh, I started first fishing back when I was, uh, 
think my first time fishing was out in Mission. My grandpa took me to one of those like little peta fish ponds. And then uh, I was living in Creston actually at the time in 94, 95. And I had my first ever fishing trip with my dad and my grandpa and my uncles over to Sheridan Lake. And uh, still have the pictures, still have the uh, memories from that mm. first fateful trip to uh, Piney Point Resort there in August 95. Wow. But uh actual fly fishing if i'm honest like i'm a i'm a pretty green five fly fish shot say so it didn't really kick in for me until 2018 i was just looking the other day mm-hmm. and uh, that's when i first started to get dialed into it and actually um is my uh my friend's dad my good friend's dad is uh brian anderson and he's a uh, seasonal at tonko lake resort and he finally kind of had enough of me coming up there and kind of doing the bait fishing and stuff. I was uh, <laughs> raised on with my uh, with my family, right. and he, I basically got the uh, if you're coming in this boat, you're fly fishing. And uh, <laughs> he started to show me the way and, and teach me and everything. And uh, actually, for the last few years that I was still going on, my first ever true and my first ever fish I caught on the fly was uh, at Houston's Pit, and I. Uh, what do you call it? The Copper Valley Highland Copper yep. Valley Mine there. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of my first ever weekends fly fishing was actually in the Trojan uh, Pond Derby there. I know you've had a few people wow. on the show who have fished in that before. And it was uh, it was so eye-opening and surreal because you're like walking in and I'm like, I'm already nervous as it is because I'm brand new to fly fishing. And then you look over and there's like, some of your past guests like John Wilkinson or uh, Randy Pascal or Deb Pascal. And then you got Brian Chan there and Todd Oishi. And I'm mm-hmm. like, holy smokes, what am I doing here? Like I've never caught a fish before on the fly. And I uh, got my first ever fish. I can still remember fishing that Houston's pit on the Saturday before the Derby and uh, crystal clear water, like uh, kind of probably uh, comparable to Sheridan or uh, Johnson Lake in the interior there mm-hmm. and just watching that fish on that full sink I had a leech or like a gompus or something on and just watching it be able to come up and scoop it up it kind of kind of helped me get the bug in the fly fishing and then I think we're all kind of we've had those experiences where you finally just have a lights out day mm-hmm. um, and that happened for me uh I believe it was July of 2018. We were at me and some friends were visiting Brian at the resort um, and him and myself and uh, his brother, Russ, we went out and we were, we were fishing by the knoll and it was one of those days where just couldn't keep him off. And I kind of been hooked on fly fishing ever since. Was that a crony day? It was a, it was an anti-static bag wine rib <laughs> crony. And, uh, <laughs> okay. I like it. You're digging deep here. It's, it's details, not a crony day at anti-static. Love it. If you, uh, if you fish Tonkwa, there's uh you kind of learn eventually, or if you listen to the seasonals or the older guys, you kind of learn that like there's, you really only need a few flies during a certain time of the year at that lake. And that was, uh, it really didn't matter how much was left on the hook. It, you just cast it out not even at the bottom we i remember i i vividly remember we we're uh maybe seven feet of water and hanging in at four feet and it just before the bobber could even get settled on the water it was going down non-stop and it was just it was one of those days where you just it hooks you and you yeah. it keeps you coming back for more right it's amazing 
when you think about it, like that that happens most years, but not all the time, right? It's like you just yeah. hit that hatch right, and it's like, well, this is way too easy, and you think it's yep. going to be like that all the time, but it never is. Oh, totally. Like I've, I don't think I know I haven't had a day like that at Tunqua, for example, since, and I know it's kind of been, uh, even this year and last year, maybe it has been quite the same since those fires, mm. but. Uh, but yeah, it's, you're right. It, it happens once in a blue moon and it just, you wait for it to happen again. I mean, I've had, uh, had a day or two like that on Sheridan before, whether it was in 10 feet of water fishing cronies in June, or, uh, I had a really awesome day deep lining for the first time this past summer. And it's kind of, they're few and far between, but, uh, I think it's what we all, those are the days we kind of remember and they kind of keep us coming back for more. Yeah. It's, it's the promise of that day because you know it's there. You just got to oh, find yeah. it, right? It's all about the potential, right? Yeah. Well, t- tell me a little bit. You, you've thrown a few names at us already, but if you had to cite a few influences, um, you know, it uh, sounds like Brian be one, but th- throw a few out there. Um, so, I mean, I profes- if I was looking at professional influences, I think, I think, Plenty of guests before me, plenty of people after me are always going to show some respects to Brian Chan or Phil Rowley. Or I know during COVID, uh, I enrolled in that Stillwater Academy that Jordan Ulrich and Phil put on together. And just for the mental health, it was awesome. But I took a lot away from that. And um, But if I was to look at um, personal influence, I first and foremost is my grandpa, um, which is my mom's dad. And he, uh, it's one of those things like just not even fishing wise, I can wholeheartedly say, I don't know if we'd be having this conversation right now, if it wasn't for him, he had such a big impact on me in my life. Hmm. And, um, just kind of the, the connections or the people I'm lucky enough to know through him. Um, my uncle Huey, who used to own Piney Point Resort was a big fishing influence and, those other friends of my grandpa's that used to call uncles and it's just, uh, yeah, it's, it, it helped instill values in me and make me really appreciate the outdoors and fishing. And, mm-hmm. but the the big connection would definitely be my grandpa. Cause without him, I wouldn't have met all these people or I would know these people or be lucky enough to call them my uncles. And then, um, if I was to look maybe more since I've gotten into fly fishing, actually, on one of those fateful Sheridan days, um, I was fishing next to this kind of louder guy in a big white pontoon boat and uh, called me over, gave me a couple flies and we uh, kind of hit it off and we exchanged numbers and the rest of that trip, I'd kind of fish next to each other. And then, gosh, that's like two or three years ago now, but my friend, uh, Brooke Dalton, who uh, does some fly tying around the Sheridan area, and he's a seasonal. He his family owns a couple of cabins there. He's there six months of the year, so he knows the lake quite well. But uh, yeah, now it, he's become a big influence on me too, and he's been known to send me some flies randomly to test out for him in the mail. And we text all the time. And actually, I just went up to his cabin this past fall on uh, reconciliation weekend to try to squeeze in one last weekend at Sheridan and. Yeah, I think I think those are all really big influential people for me uh, in fishing and just in life too. Is fly tying part of what you're doing these days? Is that um, 
you know, on the I'm, on the schedule? I'm not there yet, um, but it's definitely one of those things. I think uh, once I move a little more forward in my life, uh, and if I, I start to have a little more time, it's something I definitely want to get into. Like you, you look at the Stillwaters page or some of the 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 plethora of people on Instagram or uh, other fishing websites, and it's just just puts you in awe of like the pieces of art that some of these people are going or that are, are able to do. I mean, the ones that I really admire are the ones that bring their tying stuff with them to the lake and they're like, tie, they're tying up and they're ready to go for the next day. And they're like, it's just so much respect for those people. And um, hopefully something that I can learn or strive to do because it's like, just like everything else, like it's uh, it keeps you, focused on the fishing throughout the year it keeps you engaged in our sport it's not just a a spring summer fall thing anymore it's something you can still look to towards the winter to do too if you're involved in the fly tying stuff so yeah for sure well your winters are probably pretty all you know you're all in with your hockey you're uh, doing your instruction thing with rpm um and and you you'd mentioned just uh, before we kind of hopped on this call that you're doing a uh, bachelor of integrated studies at uh, at UFV so w- winter's probably pretty busy for you right now i uh yeah unless i make the time for it or if i'm if i'm randomly lucky to have a pro d day off it's it's 7 days a week at the rink and and even for the school part of things uh i've been really fortunate since i went back in january of 2022 yeah i think that sounds right that i've been really fortunate to have all online classes since and i really don't think i don't think if i was coaching junior hockey still or i don't think if i had to take the classes in line i don't think i'd be able to keep up with my studies at this point just because of the hockey schedule yeah yeah no it's i can imagine well, let's um let's take some time to get to know you in in your neck of the woods. You ready for uh, my little question list here that's designed to get to know your day to day a little bit? You bet. Okay, so let's say you're headed to the interior. You're headed to your favorite still. You're headed to Sheridan, wherever you may be going. What is playing in the truck en route? So, I know. I think it was Brian had the same question a few episodes ago, and he talked about playing this on the way to the to the water and and i have to be honest like i do kind of to get myself a little jacked up or hyped up i'll i'll throw on fly fishing 97 and kind of try to get my brain thinking in the right way but if it's if it's music it's country i'm a big country guy uh alternative rock and kind of just classic rock and roll and and I'll give a little shout out to like guys like Nickelback or something too. I, I appreciate them and, and what they've done for music in our country too. Who, who's in your wheelhouse when it comes to country? Uh, so got to give a big shout out to my guy, Garth Brooks. Oh yeah. But, uh, also Chris Stapleton, Luke Combs. And I know maybe politically he's taken a little bit of heat, but I still love his music. I'm a big fan of Jason Aldean too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, me too. I think a lot of those guys too, uh, they pull a lot from the rock world, right? I mean, big time, especially now, some of the new stuff I'm hearing coming out, whether it's Hardy or, uh, yeah. you know, name a band. It's like, man, that's, Hardy, that's pretty heavy. Ernest. Um, yeah, Hardy, Ernest. Yeah. Uh, we were fortunate. We go down to, uh, well, I've been going down to the gorge, 
for a country music festival ever since uh, I think my last, my first time was summer of 2013 and I have been to everyone since except for when the border was closing for COVID and that's on August long weekend and uh, we saw this fellow last summer named uh, Warren Ziders mm. and he uh, he's he's awesome he, he talked about like that country kind of rock crossover and mm-hmm. he if uh, if that's kind of up your alley or if that's up anybody's alley for like country slash rock I think he's worth to listen to as well have you checked out um, Austin Snell's new stuff yeah, he's awesome. Oh man, I love it too. Yeah, real good. I think he's got We're, one uh, called uh, "Muddy Water Rockstar" or something. I was playing. I think I play that one through. I'm really bad when it comes to songs, Bane. If I like yeah. it, I'll listen to it thirty times in a row. <laughs> oh, it, I feel yeah. I I just keep adding to my country playlist on Spotify, and I I'm I'm really thankful for the shuffle button, or I find I would be listening to the same songs again and again and again. Well, as soon as I, I don't think I always had the ability to go backwards on a song like on, let's say you're listening to The Highway on yep. uh, on Sirius XM. Yep. You can just go back, right? So then it's like, for me, it's like, uh, I know, and then I'll get through an area where I'm going through some trees and I lose it. I go back and it's just driving me nuts because I, I know there's a dead spot coming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I love it. Okay, man, let's talk patterns. Um, okay. Is what's one go-to pattern you can't do without um i have to say black micro leeches ah. and i know it's really generic but i think the last two or three years spring summer fall morning evening afternoons it's just a i think because it's such a widely available food source and most of the lakes that i regularly fish that they i just can't seem to go wrong with it like whether it's a red bead an orange bead a chartreuse bead it's hmm. um i mean the one thing that i just haven't had success with is the blue bead but maybe that's how i'm fishing it or, or fish in those lakes don't want it but yeah the, i have to say the black micro leech and i'll little shout out to the brown uh brown balance leech in the fall because it's pretty deadly too yeah I, i'm all about micro leeches too it's like I find that if you if you go small enough too, sometimes some of those patterns you buy commercially maybe aren't small enough in my mind. But you get them real small, it could be a damsel, it could be like a, one of those tiny damsels, it could be a mayfly even. Oh, um, totally. You know. And I mean, if you're walking it in or, or stripping it, like, does the fish really look at it as a leech, or like you said, is it just are you attracting it in with the movement? Yeah, um, exactly. They just Brooke Brooke kind of mentioned to me like a long time ago, and because. All I wish, like this, I don't want this to turn into like a total Sheridan love fest, but I've been raised there. <laughs> I, I've been fishing it since I was four years old. So I kind of, I just, I fished it a lot, but everybody really complains about, well, Sheridan's a tough lake to fish and, and this or that, but it's, the fish kind of give you lots of hints. And, and the big thing I find with Sheridan is you just got to find the fish. And I think might have been Brian or might have been Phil have talked in the past about how like 90% of the fish live in 10% of the water or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I think a lake like Sheridan really epitomizes that. Like there's a lot of fishermen that struggle on that lake and it's simply just by fishing dead water. And the reality is like, just put it in front of them as smart as we think they are. If you get them, if you get them thinking or looking that way or they, they're going to 
bite it. They're going to check it out. They're going to do something with it. And Brooke kind of taught me that as I started getting into fly fishing, he's like, don't worry about the pattern so much or don't worry about um, little specific things like that. Just put it in front of their face. They're going to, they're going to have a go at it. They're going to have a peek at it or they're going to want something to do with it. And I've kind of, it's, it's been a big learning lesson for me. And it, it, I find it's been a big help. I hate to admit this, but I've never fished Sheridan and I definitely want to, cause it's, it just looks like there's so many like places you can hide too. If you're looking for a little bit of uh, space. It, it is, it's a big piece of water. Um, I do have to say though, just like, any other lake um there's a lot of monkey see monkey do in the sense that like uh they'll they'll see one or two guys catch a fish and now all of a sudden you've got 10 boats around you kind of thing mm-hmm. um and I, I haven't i can't say i've seen it in the flesh completely yet when it's really bad in like let's say late may early june but i know the uh the deep water chronometing stuff can get really crowded on that lake too Hmm. Um, just imagine like a flotilla of like 50 to 75 boats in like 45 to 80 feet of water all within, I don't know, few 15, 20 feet of each other. Hmm. That's the spacing in between boats. And, uh, I actually took a couple pictures this year just when I was up there in June doing it. Cause I was the first time I've been up there in the, uh, deep water still been going on. And, uh, even then like guys were getting so, uh, hungry for the fish that if they saw one rod bend over, all of a sudden you kind of had a few guys next to you kind of thing. Yeah. That's funny. Um, let's talk where you get your fix in the fishing space when you're not out there. So, uh, I don't know whether it's winter or, or maybe you're just busy with day to day, but where do you get your fix? Like, would it be social media? Is there a shop locally you like to frequent? Um, yeah, so I, I've been for, or I've been a fortunate to be a member of the Snow Waters page. And I think it, I think every opportunity to give credit to that page, I think is deserved. It's just such a positive learning atmosphere and, yeah. um, the mods like Brent and Ryan and all those guys do such a good job there. And I don't think they get enough credit for, for what they do to provide everybody such like a safe space to talk fishing compared to a lot of other things on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been a member of fly BC for a while and I kind of still poke around there and comment and contribute when I can. And then, um, yeah, I actually, I just, this, uh, just a couple of years ago, or last year, part of me don't want to get myself in too much trouble. I moved in with my girlfriend and, uh, we just happened to move about four minutes away from the hatch matcher fly shop. <laughs> and, uh, so that's just around the corner from our house and, um, and got to give a shout out to the guys there. Cause they're, they're great local, uh, community fly shop here for us. And, and I knew that I know they do a lot of good business online and stuff, but it with, with it, being harder and harder to for communities to have their own local fly shops. I think they deserve all the support they can get and, and they're mm-hmm. good guys from there too. So Yeah, absolutely. Um I heard nothing but great things about that shop, uh, for sure. I have to get them on the show one of these days actually. Um, I I might be able to point you in the right direction there. Yeah, let's do that. So why do you think, Bain, you spend all 
this time on the water. You've kind of alluded to it a little bit, but in your words, like what does fly fishing bring into your world? Um, I think happiness, happiness, uh, clarity, just, uh, like I kind of said, I learned at a young age to kind of appreciate, appreciate the outdoors. And, and I think we're beyond blessed to live in the part of the world that we do to have the, the trophy or the world-class trout fishing that we do. And, um, no, happiness and clarity. It's I, even if I'm out on the water and looking, looking back on past memories with my grandpa or other, or other fishing trips with family members and stuff, or, and then for myself, just being on the ice all the time or being at the rink all the time, it's just, it's such a relief to get away from the rink and, mm-hmm. And just find that clarity, find the chance to uh, reflect on past seasons or how I'm doing as a coach or how I'm trying to get better. And um, Hmm. I'm a very competitive person as well. And I think, I don't care what anybody says, I think fishing is a sport, fly fishing is a sport. I think it's just a different opponent. And uh, you're not going to win every time, that's for sure, in fishing, but you can definitely try to get better or try to improve or you're, you're always learning. Um, and uh, I like the I like the competition of, of man versus fish. Cool. Yeah, that's well said. Um, I, <laughs> I'm laughing. It's, you see the Canucks are up 3-1 now? So Yeah, it's awesome. We, <laughs> when I called Bain, I didn't realize Canucks were playing this, this particular night. We're doing this interview, and I'm just like, man, I didn't think that one through. But, uh, yeah, they, they seem to be having a good year. It's... I don't want to counter chickens before they hatch, yeah. but uh, I think given what us Canucks fans have learned, or we've been so used to the last decade or so, we just got to enjoy the little things. Mm-hmm. And whether it acts or whether it doesn't, at least they've kind of brought the spirit back to the to the fan base, or they've, they've got people talking about them at least, and the league has not noticed, and... Um, I think everything evens out in the end, especially in the hockey world, and it's not going to last forever. But let's let's enjoy it while we have it here because it's been a miserable decade. <laughs> I got to tell you, you're you're a little unique to me in in that a lot of people I had that played decent level hockey or high level hockey don't watch it. I, it it amazes me how many people I talk to whether they played pro hockey and they're like no I don't watch it anymore. But you I mean it's your every day, right? Like so not only did you 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 obviously played junior, coached junior, now you're now you're instructing and and teaching youngsters to play which is really cool. And you're still sitting there watching hockey. So I mean what does hockey bring into your world if you could verbalize that? Um well I, so I start that's I actually it's funny. I started my minor hockey when we were living in Creston. So when I started hockey, as long as hockey has been in my life, fishing has been in my because in my life because that was the same uh, the same time in my life where I had my first Sheridan trip there too. And um, hockey has it's it's brought me a lot of opportunity in life. It's um, at my younger ages, like like I kind of told you, I'm pretty candid. I I'll just say I, I don't think I had the easiest upbringing, but I always had my ho- I had hockey, I had my grandpa, and I had fishing. And hockey 
kept me athletic. It kept me, it taught me good values about uh, being a good teammate and being on time for things and working hard and, and honesty, integrity. It, it taught me about being good in school and um, how you can't just be a hockey player. You got to value all aspects of it. And, mm-hmm. and then for me as a, as a junior hockey player, it transitioned into a coaching opportunity for me. And I've been beyond fortunate for the last, since 2011 to pay my bills and pay for fishing trips and um, all those things with, with, uh, with hockey. And, and um, so for, for me, hockey has given me a lot of things in life and I am so lucky that I've had these opportunities and I've made connections and I've met people and the experiences, but yeah, I don't know. I don't even know if we would have crossed paths or if we'd be having this conversation again, if it wasn't for, for hockey and fishing. So it's, Mm -hmm. uh, it's been, it's been really great for me. Uh, I'll never be able to repay all the opportunity or, or the help that I've gotten along the way in the hockey world. But I, uh, I'm hoping I'm doing a little bit of help just by all the, I mean, we're probably at thousands of kids I've coached since 2011 and hopefully at the very least what we as coaches can give back is um, the same values and the same opportunities we were given as players. And hopefully that that's impactful enough on the kids and that's kind of paying a little bit of my debt to the hockey world that I feel I have. So I love it. I I love that sense of gratitude in, in any career. And I'm curious you'd be the perfect guy to ask this question because okay, so I'm an older guy and I, it seems to me that coaching hockey has changed a lot. Like the, the successful coaches now are, it almost seems like they're more part of the team. Like I, I always think of like some of the old school coaches, almost like a dictatorship, you know, there was a little yeah. bit of fear, actually a lot of fear in a lot of cases. It doesn't seem to me that that's how people get motivated, but you tell me, is it, do you think that that scene's changed a bit? Um, I would say coaching for the most part is far more progressive now. I think, um, I think we're, I mean, you look at the NHL level or, or the major junior level, and I think you're seeing the, I mean, not to sound rude, but the dinosaurs are kind of dying out a little bit. And uh, as a coach now, you have the ultimate challenge, I think now, like when you talked about fear, uh, back even when I played or my generations before me played, there was some fear or you could motivate. But I think now as a coach, you're going to have players that are like, they can be seven years old and you better be ready to answer the question. Why? Cause that's, that's, I think that's the biggest thing with coaching now is every kid or every athlete will ask you why, why am I doing this? Why do I need to do that? Why don't we do it this way? And uh, you need to be able to have the answers for them or find the answers for them. And you need to be able to uh, have good communication skills with them. I don't think just like, I, I think the day of a successful yeller is, uh, <laughs> is very over in hockey. Um, I mean, I look at myself and like if someone's yelling at me all the time. I'm going to tune them out in, in not too long. Like I, yeah. I, I'd be lying if I say 
I don't raise my voice once in a while, but I pick my spots and I'm going to be impactful. Um, Cause you know what? They're teenagers. They're going to do something once in a while. And it's like, come on guys. You see, are you serious? Like, <laughs> but I think you got to be able to connect with the kids. You got to be able to talk with them. Now you need to be able to, again, answer that why question. And mm-hmm. uh, especially for all the, the electronic resources these kids have now, like, there's kids now, even for myself, who grew up with computers and stuff, they can teach me more about an iPad than I could teach them these days. Yeah. And um, you need to be able to communicate with them through uh, electronics. And you just, I, the old school's gone. I think it's, for any successful coach, you need to be able to communicate, be able to have some sort of electronic acumen these days. And I think you need to be able to answer that question. Why the fear, the fear days are over. (laughs) I love it. I was watching a game the other night in in the NHL. I can't remember who was playing, but just, just to see him jump on their tablets after a goal was scored, like the coaches on the bench are like, what? Nonstop now. Yeah. It's crazy. And especially with like the, I mean, even at the NHL level there, you have the coaches challenges now and they're the ones looking at iPads and they got their Mm -hmm. eye in the sky and their ear. And and actually um, one of my former teammates with the flames uh, from my first year when I was a player is actually the video coach for the Canucks now. Hmm. Um, And his name, well, his name's Dylan Crawford. It's Mark Crawford's son. Okay. And uh, so, yeah, he's, I mean, that's another hockey connection, but he's a, he was an awesome dude. And it's great to see that the hockey hockey world took him to like such a height and it's exciting to see where he goes with it. Good stuff. Let's talk about your career so far. I mean, it sounds to me like you've got lots of plans. You're doing some schooling now. So, um, what is the best job you've had to date? If, if you had to pick one, um, I think the best job I've had to date is, is right now being a hockey coach. Like it's, uh, it has its wear and tear on me. Like, um, but that's where I've just like any other job, you kind of learn when to push, when to, when to hit the brakes a little bit. And, uh, so I kind of know usually by about the first or second week of June is when I'll head up to Sheridan and I've kind of, I'm done with hockey. I won't put my skates on again until we start our summer schools in early August. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but no, just the, the opportunity to give back the opportunity to work with the kids like we do. And, um, I'm pretty fortunate. I think I have a, a work experience in hockey that not a lot of guys do because on any given day, I can be working with three-year-olds who are just starting hockey all the way up to uh, like when I was formerly coaching junior hockey and in any given day, I could have three-year-olds all the way up to 20-year-old junior players who've been playing hockey all their life. So I have quite a range of kids that I work with. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just amazing to see see them grow and uh, see them get better and I mean that's one thing it was great when I was coaching junior that we were able to send kids to junior a and to WHL and uh, university hockey afterwards but it was also just as cool to see um, like every once in a while I get a call to be a reference for someone and it's it's a former player and he's trying to be a police officer or he wants to be a firefighter or cool. um, the numerous guys that we saw go into the trades and stuff like that and just be good people and, and to do stuff with their life. It's just, I'd say that's been a pretty awesome part of the job, the rewarding part. Yeah. Well said. Is, is there anything you've done in your career to date that you have no interest in doing again? 
Um, so in my second year of junior, I uh, had to get a job because I uh, I had been I had to move out. Let's just say that, and uh, I had to get a job, and I was working at this place called Maple Ridge Trust at the bottom of. Uh, Paris Road and Pitt Meadows building trusses like the ones that you put in houses yep. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I hated it. I'll <laughs> never, I, I'll never do it again. Um, it was there's certainly some characters that they hired that certainly gave me a lot of influence or inspiration to make sure I did something with my life. And uh, and it was just it was hard work. It was not a lot of fun. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and then probably a, a close second would have been uh, the summer before I got into coaching. I, I worked as a landscaper that summer, and, and that really was not a lot of fun either. So, Yeah, that's, that's work, man. Like, I, <laughs> If you're on a shovel or you're whatever you're doing landscaping all day, especially in the, in the hot sun, it's, uh, it's not easy. Oh, it's uh, – I. I'm not a pretty boy. Like I can, I know my way around tools and I can, I can fix things and I can do stuff like that, but I just don't think I'm a laborer or anything along those lines. I don't think I'm built for it. And, and even with the hockey, I, I'm not a spring chicken anymore. I mean, I just turned 33 a week or two ago here and I, uh, I listen to my body a lot more now and I make sure I go to the chiropractor. So I'm able to do my job a lot, but, uh, even as a coach, like with the instructing and the demonstrations, there's there's only so many miles you can put on this body. So that's uh, it's definitely a a factor for me going back to school and hopefully getting a teaching career. Just because, and this isn't like a shot at teachers or anything. I just think it's going to be physically a little bit better for my body mm-hmm. um, moving forward. Like the hockey thing is great. I hope I hope I'm able to continue to do it in some aspect throughout my life. But uh, I for me, it's just unless I, I'm running my own business, or uh, I guess if I was to get a pretty lucrative hockey job, then it's it's something maybe to stick with. But I think it's, it's as my grandpa put it before he passed away, it's probably time for me to grow up a little bit and get a big boy job. So um, <laughs> that's a great quote. <laughs> he uh, he always told me, "Well, what are you going to do next? You can only do the hockey for so long." And my answer was kind of always, "Well, I'm going to do it as long as I can." Yeah. but uh he passed away actually a couple of years ago in, in november in 2021 and he he always wanted me to go back to school so that kind of hit me hard and hmm. i kind of started to listen to him after the fact so that following january i made sure i was back in school and i just haven't looked back since so that, that's awesome I, I love hearing that yeah it's amazing how that stuff impacts us years when you look back in your life and you go oh, okay Sometimes you connect the dots easier when you've already lived the dots. You know what I mean? When you're in it, you don't yep. see it. Oh, it's, I've, he would always give me hard times too, but like, like, and I've learned as a coach now, like you can kind of only lead a horse to water. Like some lessons just have to be learned. You can, you can yep. tell someone don't do this or you should do this. But at the end of the day, like some lessons just have to be learned. And, and mm-hmm. for, for me, I guess that was one of them. So. Well, and you have to be, I think you have to be able to make mistakes too. And like, I know as parents, you don't want your kids to mess up, but at the same time, if they never do, they're probably not going to learn much. Oh, it's totally. And that's, 
that's something that we uh especially with the younger kids like i find younger kids are really really they don't know how to handle pressure yet and they get overwhelmed really easily and stressed out and one of the first things we well the first thing we always talk about on the ice is how if you want to be a good hockey player you got to be a good listener and because i i personally don't know a lot of good hockey players that haven't listened to somebody along the way but the next thing that arguably might be more important is to remind the kids that if you lose the puck just go get it if you fall down go or pick yourself back up like it's we want to really try to emphasize that it's like a safe learning space for the kids and that you can make mistakes like you're going to learn more from making mistakes than if you try to perfect everything yeah yeah like it so let's let's take it to the water man let's um i always like to get your dream day so it sounds like it probably on still water somewhere but if you had to paint us a picture bane of your perfect day you know uh would you backtrack in time or you fish with grandpa who you fishing with you know like what does that look like you could be anything you want i think i think any any opportunity to fish one more day with my grandpa i would never pass up on that and and obviously we'd be on Sheridan, but um, I mean, it's not going to happen again I'm, until it's my time to go. And then hopefully I meet him in the right spot. But I know uh, I would definitely take up uh, another day with my grandpa. But at this point now, I think it's just a perfect day on the water. That's it. I've always heard this question and I've thought about it. And it's a, it's a tough one because I think it could be it's, it can be seasonal too. Like I think back to uh, driving up to the interior on like an Easter weekend and I'm just going to six mile and it's the first day on the still waters that year. Like to me, that's a perfect day or um, in the fall of any still water, like fall time is such an amazing time of the year to fish and all the foliage and uh, you could be fishing in shorts and t-shirts by the afternoon and the fisher in shallow. Like that's a, that's an amazing day too, but I think overall, perfect day on the water. Get out around eh, Sheridan's a ten to two lake, so you get around, get out there around nine. Beautiful flat, calm glass like water. Maybe cruise the shallows looking for fish, but depending on the time of the year, you might be heading to a drop off. You might be fishing out a little deeper and um, kind of partly sunny partly overcast day and just a light breeze so we get that uh that classic fresky riffle or however you want to call it and um yeah whether uh, for me I've, I've never i've learned to never have a bad day on sheridan and, and hopefully i make a full day out of it and i don't get blown off the water by the wind and hmm. um i'm a big big muncher like i go out with a bag full of food so that i can make sure i stay out the whole day um probably a sandwich probably bring my hawkins cheesies <laughs> uh some sort of sugar-free pop a water a energy drink um and then yeah granola bars and fruit snacks and, and then i'm usually good to go for the whole day and if it's uh if it's in the summer um and and brent formerly from piney point now can attest to it i, I might stay out till 10 30 that night depending how the fishing's going and <laughs> Um, there's been a couple of times you've seen me come in a little late, so 
but yeah, I think, I think that last little part overall, if I was just looking for my generic perfect day, I think that would be it. What are you fishing out of? So I have my own, I have a nine foot flat bottom spring block that I actually purchased at the start of COVID and I, uh, redid it all and, and, uh, souped it up so it's to my standards but what i fished out of my whole life and this is where i consider my consider myself spoiled was uh my grandpa had a 16 and a half foot uh v-hull springcraft uh with a 50 horse merc on the back hmm. so to me i've been very fortunate or spoiled to like kind of be fishing out of a cadillac so to speak when it comes to fishing um so after he passed away he left that to uh my uncle and i so i i still fish out of that when i'm on like a bigger water and stuff too so nice um double anchored i assume quite often yeah as, as much as possible um i all the respect to the uh trollers and and if i'm if i'm out with like inexperienced bunnies or or my girlfriend or her mother want to fish and, and they want to see more of the lake. I'm, I'm all for trolling, but yeah, I definitely uh, prefer to double anchor if possible. Tell me about this. It sounds like you just kind of found deep line and maybe recently what, what is it about deep line and that you enjoy so much? Oh, I think, uh, I mean, unless you have fish on it, it's, it's peaceful. Um, kind of just sitting there waiting i think it's the antis- anticipation of the of what's to come and then when it does come like for any people that have experienced the uh deep lining it's the intense um the intense hookups like it's if you don't have that rod in your hand or if you don't have your rods in your holders like you better be getting ready to go to the fly shop for a new rod so <laughs> um it's so true it's, I actually just, my first time deep lining would have been uh, two May longs ago. So that would have been May 2022 at, uh, well, it's a very well-known lake. It was out at Roche. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was that was a very, it kind of got me hooked. And then I finally made it up to Sheridan this year for the deep lining, which is, it seems to have become a pretty prolific thing at Sheridan. And uh, yeah, it's just, even in a 16 and a half foot boat, I, I got to make sure I have the line spread out. So I have one rod at the front of the boat, one rod at the back of the boat and, um, seem to find myself fishing by myself a lot. And it's a, it's a circus. It's a handful when you have a double header going on or something like that. And there's fish jumping out the back of the boat, but it's not on the back rod. It's on the front rod. And it's just, it's, oh, it's a lot of fun. Walk me through your setup on that. Cause I think a lot of people that haven't done it, uh, you're basically just fi- fishing vertically right at the boat, but especially in a deep lake like Sheridan, a lake that's, you know, <clears throat> it's hard to get down there any other way. Yeah. Um, like as your leader, how long is your leader? Are you fishing fairly short, fairly long leaders? What does that look like? Uh, fairly short. I mean, I, uh, I truthfully, when it comes to full sinks, I don't really break the bank, uh, but a full sink floating line or full full sink sinking line and then uh i'll put about a foot of mono on and then usually about three to four feet of uh fluoro Mm -hmm. and then right to the hook and then 
depending if it's like really uh windy or if it's choppy i might add a split shot on uh somewhere along the line there but uh for me it's i try to keep it as simple as possible and how do you find your depth are you using hemostats are you what are you doing there? Right, so i i mean i i use the finder as much as possible but uh i have i guess i have one of those uh are they bouncing betties or kind, yep. of, kind of like little mini cannonballs yeah with the and... pinch thing on it with the little uh yeah so i have I picked up a four pack of those and I uh, just attach it to the loop on my fly or the loop knot on my fly and sink it down in the bottom until I get to the bottom and uh, I'll start 12 to 18 inches off the bottom and then depending on what the fish want or where they're feeding I'll start to work my way up from there. Hmm. Yeah that's uh, that's a good tip because it, it's it makes such a difference one or two feet or three feet doesn't sound like a lot in a lake like that but it they can be pretty fussy oh I've, and i've seen i've seen it on that lake where uh guys have been out by themselves and they're they got a deep line going on one line but then all of a sudden the fish start moving up the column so they break out the floating line with the long leader and they're trying to pick off the fish in the middle of the water column too hmm yeah, it's it's and the other thing is if you haven't tried it, the takes are just like rip the rod right out of your hand. And I always think, Bane, because like think about when you got an indie on, you're on a dry line. If that thing goes down hard, it's way out. You know, it's not right yeah. in front of your face usually. And uh, but th- that connection with the fish is instant, and I do think that is somewhat addictive. Oh, it's it gets the heart pumping because you could be sitting there fiddling around on your phone, doing the wordle or something, and all of a sudden your rod is three feet under the boat and there's a fish jumping on the water and your heart is racing at a million miles an hour. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Good stuff. So what's what's on the agenda for you this winter? Just lots uh, lots of hockey, lots of school, just kind of thinking about trips, uh, planning for next season. What What's the winter season look like for you? Yeah, so it's uh, so yeah, hockey is now, and uh, just finished my midterms for school, so I probably got another five to six weeks of that, and I gotta do my course selection for the next semester. But I uh, another thing my family values, at least my uncles and stuff, is hunting. So I in last January I went and got my core and my pal and. Actually, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to go out to Manitoba to hunt with my uncle out there for a few days, just because it was a it's a rare opportunity for me to get a, get to go out there, and that'll actually be my second time out there because I got to go out there and do some fishing this past summer. Hmm. What are you um, hunting? So, white tails or or what? Yeah, it's, it's going to be white tails. So he uh, he has some property kind of in southwest Manitoba near Verdon. Yeah, and uh, so he's got all his. He's got his acres or what do they call them sections out there yeah. or whatever and he's got his cat he's got some cattle and stuff like that but he's got all his game cans game cam set up and he's there uh my uncles are I, I think they're gonna be good hunting uh mentors for me they're pretty dialed in with it but mm-hmm. uh i'm gonna go try it i mean i could very well do it this one time and not like it and, and i'll be happy with that that's okay but um so, it's not so much the bloodlust or like wanting to kill something. It's just wanting to spend more time with family or 
another opportunity to get outdoors so yeah amen and the hunt is addictive also and and let's face it you're doing the same thing with a fly rod you're hunting those fish down whether we like it or not right yeah it's, it's not it's not too different right no um and then uh gonna take my cloverdale team up to kamloops to the uh kibbit tournament which is a pretty prestigious tournament uh in december before christmas and then uh we will take our Christmas break and we'll come home and go on another prestigious tournament in the uh, Pat Quinn Classic, which is based out of Burnaby, and then get the boys ready for the playoffs come February, and hopefully we can uh, retain our provincial title that we won two years ago. We kind of didn't quite get there last year, so we're going to see if we can bring the provincial title back to the Little Mainland come February and March. So. That's awesome. Any of the same uh, kids still on the team from then, or I, or I guess they probably uh, moved on? No, unfortunately not. But uh, one of the brothers is, mm-hmm. and so he he saw his brother go through it, and and I think it's uh, he's he's seen the successes come to the kids from that team, and and just for his brother too. His brother actually just played uh, in the WHL Cup, which is like a pretty big deal. Um, it's it's all like the top prospects from the province of BC against uh, the top prospects from Alberta, Manitoba, uh, Saskatchewan. So I think he sees what his brother did and he really wants to, uh, wants to one up him if possible, I think. So, hmm. um, but yeah, it's a, it's a great group of kids this year and I like their potential, but the reality in sports is potential is a dirty word. So <laughs> It seems to me, no matter what you're doing, you're surrounding yourself with with good people and learning the craft, and and now you're teaching it when it comes to hockey and and sounds like fly fishing too. So, Bane, I really appreciate you taking the time, man. I knew uh, as soon as we met that I had to get you on the show because you're such a passionate guy in the fly fishing space, and I love talking hockey, fishing, music, and it's just been easy talking with you, man. I appreciate it. I wish you a great season on and off the ice, and uh, hopefully we can we can get out on a, on a still at some point. Oh, that'd be awesome. I just, uh, can't thank you enough for the opportunity, Mark. And, and thank you for creating this podcast. I know speaking for myself, just all the guests you've had on the past and the things I've learned from this podcast and, and just the, uh, the amount of time that I've spent listening to it, it, it's, uh, it's become an important listening feature in my life, so I've got to thank you for that, too. Well, cheers, man. Appreciate you. We've been chatting tonight with Bane Ryshack out of Vancouver, B.C., instructor at RPM Hockey and Pacific Rim Hockey Academy, avid fly fisher. Um, thanks for joining us, folks, this time around. We'll catch you next time. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water.